Welcome to episode 65 of No Shot Clock, the Chicago High School Basketball Podcast. Michael O'Brien from the Chicago Sun-Times here with Joe Henriksen of the City Suburban Hoops Report. And we are literally knee-deep in the season. The Chicago League Classic just wrapped up. we got a big week coming up. We just There's games, there's scandals, there's everything happening. We have dived right in. There's been no slow start to this season. And I guess we're going to... Kind of flip it a little bit this week. We're going to start out with our two takes. Joe and I, our two takes on the kind of the last week and what's been going on. Then we're going to take your listener questions. We've got a big mailbag here. And then a look at the week ahead. So um, let's see how we're going to do this. Joe and I, we, uh, yeah. I'm going to start it out. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. I mean, it was a busy week. I mean, we, <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about it. I hit those two public league games on Thursday at Kenwood and then the one at IIT. And then, um, Chicago League Classic, which is a, a a a draining weekend when you think about it, when you look watch all those games, but uh, got a lot of action in. But go ahead with your take. Yeah, my first take is off one of those games, the the Curie Orr game, which was kind of our first big meeting of the powers this season. And I like IIT; it's a great place to watch a game. Not a bad seat. It, it it's not a big. If you haven't been there, it's not a big venue. It's the size of kind of an below average, maybe high school gym, but it feels bigger. It's kind of fancy. It's got a gloss to it since they redid it. It's just a really great place to see a game, a nice location, easy for you to get to. The parking's good. Major props to IIT. So it was a nice setup, and, you know, the teams were excited. The atmosphere was great. It, there's so much intensity. You know, everything was just amped up to a 1,000. It was your the, the first really big experience of the season, I thought. But the basketball was not good. It was not good at all. I mean, neither team played well. You know, it didn't help Curie. They didn't have Commander. You know, they'd been played with them all fall and all spring and summer and practiced with them. And that's a huge piece not to have. And or they just didn't seem right. I don't know what it was. If it was kind of jitters, their first big game is the big number one team. But you know, or was kind of ahead through most of it, it, it uh, just a little bit of a lead. Curie came back. You know, props, I don't want to take anything away from Curie and from that victory because to be down the whole game and really come through at the end in the big moments and win, you know, all the credit to them for pulling out that victory, especially without Commander. I think it, it showed us an awful lot about that team. Their bigs played well, and they kind of showed us the ceiling Curie could have. If Commander's there and plays well, this team can win the state title. There's no doubt about that. We saw that. It just wasn't a great game, and so it was hard to take a, a, too much about to judge either team too much. I'm not going to judge Orr too harshly, although if we see another performance from them like that in a big game, then it's definitely warning sign time. They both stayed in the top five. They just kind of flipped around a little bit down there, but I guess it's kind of my long-winded take on not a great game, you know, opening basketball. I do think, and I, I use this cautionary tale, I think, at the podcast, in past podcasts at the beginning of the year. I've written about it. And I just believe those November games and early December games are mucky to begin with. And I just, I, I, you don't see great, clean basketball, I, I, you know, really until the holiday tur- Christmas tournament time, in my view. Uh, I just think it takes time. It was an ugly game. It was a physical game. They played hard. They got after it. Uh, or in Curie. But it was definitely ugly, but it was very physical as well. And I, I just, you know, it's the same thing with like watching Simeon on Saturday night. They came out with the win, and they did not play very well. And Rob Smith said they didn't play very well. They didn't. 
They didn't pass the look test that night. Uh, but again, you think about it, very first game of the season for Simeon, which it usually is at the Chicago Elite Classic, and it just wasn't very pretty. So, you know, and so that leads me to my take where I don't know whether I should take <laughs> what I just said or I should take with what I just said, a, a grain of salt, what I'm about to say. And that's, they're just, Mike, there's just no dominating teams. There, I wrote a little bit about it, which will be in the paper uh, on Tuesday in the Sun-Times, uh, my three-pointer column. But there, there just does not appear to be a team, in my mind, that can even really come together and become this elite, dominating type of team where, all right, it's going to be really hard to beat them. And I'm talking even about your top five in your preseason top five. There, we had the exact same preseason top five. I think everybody would, and maybe in a little different order, but that's the consensus. Those are the top five teams, and and or could prove to be. You now that's a different animal. They could end up proving to be a, a dominating two A team because they are two A, but the rest of them in three A and four A, I just. I don't see the pieces. I don't see the overall high-level talent. I just don't see it coming together where, oh, it's, you know. Now, it's not to say that these teams can't be favored to win it and they end up winning it. I just think it's going to be a dogfight, and there's going to be a lot of teams that materialize that maybe we, you know, a year ago. You take that from team, Mike, from a year ago, and you put them this year. I mean, I mean they were right there last year. I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Frem beat any of these teams this year, last year's Frem team. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. I, I don't anticipate, but again, I don't anticipate a team like Frem materializing this year either. I, I think those are those pop up here and there, but it's not a regular occurrence every single year. So my, my take is just that I, I, I just through two weeks of the season, Yes, I, I I did say that it's sloppy and it takes time to work some kinks out and the, and the good basketball doesn't come until Christmas tournament time. But even with that being said, I just don't see that type of team or that type of talent that's going to blow you away and really kind of intimidate another team that, oh, those guys are almost unbeatable. And, and we just don't have that this year. Yeah, I agree completely. That goes right into my take, which is, these suburban teams, the ones I've seen, the high-level suburban teams, I've seen Niles North, and I've seen Larkin. There's no question those teams can play with the top five. They could beat them on any given day. They might be up there in the rankings soon. I mean, we saw that factually with the Larkin-Young game. You know, that came down to the end. I haven't seen Romeoville yet, but I think it's extremely likely they can do it. We saw a really great performance from Oak Park at the Chicago Elite Classic that shows that maybe they can do it. I think Bolingbrook is very possible. Their scores have been, they've been killing people. And I think it's possible for Waukegan, especially near the end of the season, you know, when they've got a little bit more experience under their belts. And I think this is exciting. I think it's really good news that we don't, that those five CPS teams aren't that much better than everybody. I think it's going to make the playoffs more fun, the regular season more fun. I'm kind of jazzed up about it uh, i mean you like to see great teams but i didn't want there just to be a tiny little handful that was clearly an elite level and i'm really happy that it's not and i'm excited for some of these other teams to get a chance you know to really do it and might not come to the playoffs i haven't looked at all the schedules the holiday tournaments will be interesting i guess that'll be our first real chance but i think it's going to be fun especially with the news you know morgan park is at 
um, the Big Dipper, which is just wonderful news. And Orr is at Proviso West, which is great. So we're going to see all of our teams tested by the suburban teams in the holiday tournaments, and it's going to be fun. Yeah, you mentioned Oak Park. I mean, that, them going down to Pontiac, that's, you know, Curie and Simeon always are the headliners of Pontiac, and there's always depth. But I like that Oak Park team that we saw at a Chicago League Classic with their win over Fenwick. I think that's a big shot in the arm for Oak Park this year going forward. Um, you know, my, my, my second take is from the Chicago League Classic, and that is Champaign Central came up, one of the other Chicago area teams. It was interesting to me because our star, Tim Finke, who is headed to Grand Canyon uh, after a kind of a, an odd type of recruitment that is, went is on. Is he visiting the Grand Canyon? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <no>. <laughs> <laughs> he will be at Grand Canyon, uh, the, the, the the university, yes. Uh, but he really struggled. He shot poorly. He was about, I think he's one for eight or one for nine from three. You know, he is their 20-point-per-game guy. He struggled, but Champaign Central still played – they competed at a pretty high level against a 3A, you know, what everybody considers to be the 3A favorite in Morgan Park. Uh, you, you kept expecting Morgan Park, they, they'd go on a run and, get, and you'd say, okay, this is it. They're going to go on a 15-2 run and blow this thing open. But they just hung around and, and hung around and hung around and, and, and played tough. And, and, and an eye-opener, uh, Khalil, Khalil Terry, I believe that's how you pronounce the first name, is a 6'4 freshman who was probably the most athletic player I saw at the Chicago League Classic, which is saying a lot. He is a phenomenal athlete off the floor, quick jumper, explosive. He dunked, he blocked shots, he has a great body, and he, he's, you know, as any most freshmen do, came came out of nowhere and really adds a lot of punch to a Champaign Central team who all of a sudden now looks like a major player in Class 3A because 3A has been down, Mike. We know we've kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek, maybe even mocked it at times, I know, but it's really down this year. I mean, 3A is as bad as it's ever been and as wide open as it's ever been because Morgan Park, I'm still going to say they're the favorite, but, you know, Tamel Pearson is out now until January. Maybe that allow some bigger, some big men in that program to kind of get some experience and and rise to the occasion. But Champaign Central could be playing in Peoria, and I think through a loss, kind of gained a little bit of confidence in that loss, which doesn't always happen. But I think they went home thinking, all right, you know, our star didn't play very well, and we still hung in there and competed, and uh, we don't have to face or see them again until until we were into Peoria. So I just came away pretty impressed with, with Champaign Central. Yeah, and they were a fun team to watch. Yeah, I enjoyed that game. It was close for most of it. It was funny, too, the Cleo Terry. I, there were four times, at least, there were four times I wrote down on my sheet in that game where one of his teammates threw up some crazy thing pass that they apparently thought he could alley-oop <laughs> that ended up being a turnover but I guess you know, they see that in practice I mean he had two or three of them but there were even more they thought they so they have the utmost confidence in this kid who's a freshman that basically if they toss the ball up anywhere near it that he's gonna you know bring that home so yeah it was a very impressive fun game and it is fun to see a great well not a great but a really good 3A team you know that we weren't necessarily sure of 
Um, next up here, before we get into the questions, Matt Troja, you know, the IHSA spokesperson, sent over some information. You know, we had a lot of talk last week about the sectional assignments. And I'm actually uh, just kind of kind of read this. I'll do it quickly. You can rewind and pay attention if you miss anything the first time. But I think it's important that we all kind of know this. Um, he says, first off, and this is the actual language from the IHSA. It's about the, the principle of the IHSA state tournament series. The state series is designed to determine a state champion. The state series is not intended to necessarily advance the best teams in the state to the state final. That's something we all know, but that's the actual language. And now here it is about the sectionals getting reassigned. This is the actual rule from the bylaws. Assignments to first-level tournaments are reviewed and rearranged every three years, though the host of each first-level tournament may change from year to year. Sometimes, changes in schools willing to host or schools entered may necessitate intermediate adjustments to the assignments. So that's the official three-year sectional change. And now this is Matt himself um, in the email, letting us, giving us some kind of information. It's important to note that these haven't been perfect three-year cycles of late because there were so many changes to classes during a four-year stretch where we went to 25% split in the four-class sports, then when we changed the waiver in back-to-back years. So he's talking about the four-class split, and then the by the waiver he means the success factor and that kind of stuff. Also, that the geography, the, yeah, that the geography of the tourney in the four-class era doesn't guarantee that all supers can always flip. I.e., the 3A Southern Illinois sectional is in all likelihood always going to match up with the Springfield area sectional, given they are pretty much on an island. It appears that Simeon, Young, and Curie were all in the same sectional in 2013-14 before it flipped. Um, so that's interesting. You know, I made the comment last week that I thought that I believe that the sectionals should be on a rotation um, into see what supers they feed into. And Matt is saying here that apparently that's possible in 4A, even the IHSA agrees, but in 3A that there is that one group because, you know, it comes from way down south where that one's always going to have to play the Springfield, they think, which does make sense, I think. Um, You can't really have anybody up here playing – the Cairo area teams in a super section will just be a crazy, you know. I think the trip. biggest take, ta- I'll do a third take. Yeah. The biggest take from that would be I-, I think the majority of people would not have known or understood the language to be the job is not to advance and get all the best teams. Yeah. The farthest along the, the tournament trail. And that's a philosophical difference that some people would argue probably against and but that's what it is and yeah i don't know how how do you feel about that i mean that there's no way for them to they don't have enough knowledge they don't have to do a whole lot of background checking and information to figure all that out of of the best way to get the best teams down there i mean that's not really their job or focus so i think it would almost be impossible them for them to do that yeah, it would, and I mean, yeah, I, I think the geogra- geographic thing is fine because, you know, what, I cover 350 high schools, and it takes me, you know, four or five months to get a handle on all of them. You know, you got to see them. you got to see them multiple times, and even then you can be surprised by things. There's no one that knows the whole state. That's impossible, you know? So there's no one to even, like, there's no resource to go to 
to know for sure that you're doing it right and that those are the best teams. So I think that even attempting to do it that way is faulty. So the best thing you can do is make sure you have geographic representation. And, I mean, there is a way to change this. You know, the IHSA loves to say that they're not yelling down from a mountaintop. What they are doing is the member schools get together and vote on things. So if the member schools want to get together and change this language, they can do that. You know, they can submit proposals. That can happen. Um, so that would be the way forward if somebody really is obsessed with this change. But Would you ever see a scenario where you would like it for a top the top eight when they get to the super sectionals to see the top eight? One, the argument would be who would seed them. Two would be where do you play them because of the South. I mean, you can always have the, you know, if match up on the ISU super sectional yeah. like they do now, the South team. But to seed one through eight once they get to the super sectionals. I guess I wouldn't be – it doesn't strike me as something horrible, but I don't care really to do that. It doesn't matter to me. Um, to me, the most important thing is to make sure that high school basketball stays strong. And the way to do that is for all the parts of the state to feel like they have a chance to get to state at least every one or two years, you know, to keep that dream alive. Ooh, now you're, now you're sound like a, a four class proponent. <laughs> no, I mean, we, you know, back then you used to have eight teams in two classes, so we have no, way I, more representation. I just mean by saying to Keep the dream alive? Yeah. <laughs> because to me, it's like two bottom feeders that just had easy roads that met in the super sectional, and they get to Peoria just by nature of they just didn't have to play anybody to get there. Johnsburg versus East Moline United. I was and at that's that why, super. <laughs> yeah. That's why I bring up the, you know, the seating. Because yeah. I, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't – and it's not that I don't want equal representation – I, I would love it. I would love for a team that was worthy enough to, you know, let's say the seven seed from, we'll just use Johnsburg as an example. Let's say Johnsburg was an eight seed and they upset the one seed. I, I'm fine with that if they earned it and they're playing at Peoria. I just don't like it when you do have those years where you've got these two just great, fantastic teams, and it happens, that hook up in a super sectional. And then there's these two that, eh, you know, but – now that's but it goes back to that that thing you just read. I mean, it's not there. It's not the goal. That's not the focus. And uh, the priority is not to get those the best teams to Peoria. All right, let's hit these questions. First up is from Steve Blake. He says, "Hey, Michael O'Brien, I still think Waukegan is top twenty-five and still top ten. What do you think about all three Browns only playing two full games together has affected Waukegan's record?" Um, says a lot more about that and. Um, also said he wish he wishes Round Lake had those Browns. Go Panthers for life! So I guess we have a Round Lake uh, <laughs> fan and <laughs> podcast listener. Which have we talked Round Lake in four years of podcast? I, I, I think I'm pretty certain that is the first time the phrase Round Lake has ever been mentioned. So thanks, Steve, for listening, even though we never talk about the Panthers. Um, yeah, Steve, I totally agree. I mean, I think Waukegan. I think they have a limitless ceiling. That I mean, but the fact is. They have a loss right now to Carmel that's keeping them out of the rankings. And they almost got in this weekend. I thought about putting Carmel in because Carmel's played pretty well, actually. They just got torched by North Lawndale. It was like a 30 or 40-point game. That's when I happened to see. So, so I kind of I thought about going Carmel 24, Waukegan 25. It was 
that way for a while. But yeah, there's no question that Waukegan, Fenwick, Bogan, they all have the talent to be in the Super 25. They all should be, they'll all, they'll all be back eventually. But it's just that right now there are some teams that are off to a better start that I think deserve the ranking more. Um, Fenwick, you know, has lost to every good team they've played. And they're very good teams, but they're three losses now, and their wins aren't very good. So they're gone for a little while. Bogan, same deal. You know, they've beaten, you know, a couple teams that, aren't very good. They beat one good Rock Island team. Um, and they lost to St. Charles North on a neutral court. So until St. Charles North gets in the rankings, it's going to be a little rough for Bogan. They'll have a shot against Morgan Park coming up. But yes, Steve, totally Waukegan is there. That's just the way I do rankings. I'm not just going to keep these teams in no matter how many games they lose every week. It, that seems kind of stupid to me. What would be the point of this? But. Round Lake's off to a rough 0-4 start. I just looked up. Ouch. Northern Lake County. <laughs> I didn't even know they Surely. were the Panthers. <laughs> bad. Um, all right, you have anything to say about Waukegan, Joe? No, I mean, I, I think it's pretty evident that you need your three best players playing together to yeah. to maximize uh, your ceiling. And it's going to take some time and, and, and get it together. Because, I, I mean, those I, – I think Waukegan has a little more depth. They expect to have a little more depth than last year. They did have some key pieces they had to replace, though. I mean, they, uh, two really big pieces, but yet they still believe they have they could have the potential to have more depth than last year. But even saying that, even with that depth, those the three Browns are clearly the three best players. And yeah, yeah. It, to me, I think they're better than last year, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah, I just saw one game and they've lost with it. But one of the Browns said an interesting thing to me after the game about how it's their team now. And as great as Carson Newsom played last year, and he played great, and Deshaun Davidson had some huge games, this team has chemistry now that they didn't have last year. The way the ball moves when they're playing well, because it's their team, and they don't have to defer to those guys anymore, I think they can play at a higher level, but they do need all of them on the floor because they are all very different players, you know, and they all do specific things that any good team needs. I'm I'm super high on Waukegan. For somebody who doesn't have them ranked, I really do think this team, (laughs) this guy's the limit. Um, okay, next up, Patrick Devitt. Um, Patrick says, what team and what individual players are the biggest surprises in a positive way coming off a Thanksgiving tournament performance? Also, what school hasn't exactly started the season off on the right foot? I'll start with the the, the team that I really thought would have a really nice season. And they, and they still might. It's early. And I, and I ranked them in my massive top 80, fairly high, was Highland Park. And... Coach Paul Harris, I think, is one of the underrated coaches in the Chicago area, making the most out of what he has there at Highland Park year in, year out. But they dropped, they went 0 4 at Thanksgiving. Uh, they did pick up a win over Maine West. So they are, they're, I think they're 1 4 right now. But and, and they did lose to four very good teams Evanston, Prospect, St. Viator. I can't remember the fourth loss. But. I just believed Highland Park would be a very, very – they played Evanston tough. They lost 61-58 in the opener. But that's the one team that I thought would – you know, and, and they still might. They are going to be a player, I think, still in the Central Suburban League North. Uh, but I think that's the team that I think uh, with Deerfield, Glenbrook North, and Highland Park all battling for that top spot in the CLCL North. That's the one team that kind of struck me here in the first two weeks not doing exactly what I thought. Yeah, for me, the – Kind of handful of surprises. A team you just mentioned, Glenbrook North. They're six and zero. Oh. None of those wins are you know 
really high quality wins, but I didn't know what to, I didn't expect much of anything out of Glenbrook North this year. And to start out six and oh is pretty great. Uh, St. Lawrence five and oh, and they picked up a win this week uh, against St. Joseph uh, last minute win. And th- that's interesting. Uh, they've had some good athletes and some interesting players. I've seen them the last couple of years and maybe they're starting to put it together. Jim Sexton is the new coach there. Uh, so that's really fascinating. Hillcrest is a team we always talk about a lot. They're off to a six and one start, have some nice wins. Um, and their only loss is to my other surprise. Marion Catholic has had a nice start, 4-0. You know, won that big tournament, kind of one of the better Thanksgiving tournaments, Chicago Heights Classic. So those Yeah, are I think that, as far as strictly Thanksgiving tournaments, I think Marion Catholic going yeah. unbeaten in that, in that tournament was and – I, and I thought Marion Catholic had the potential to be a legit top 25 team, but they were, they're young. They've got some sophomores and juniors that they're really leaning on. And another one is Downers Grove North, who's off to a 5-0 and start. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, Oak Park is clearly the favorite in the West Suburban Silver. And York is going to be a pesky contender all year long with their style of play and how they do things with all the guards they have. But Downers Grove North is 5-0. and They don't have a marquee win yet. They did beat Bartlett, a good, solid Bartlett team. But Downers Grove North is, is unbeaten. And, and, you know, I I thought they'd be solid. I, we'll see how, you know, how big of a factor they can be. Yeah, I guess as far as kind of teams that didn't do what i expected a pair of two and three teams bloom um i get we all knew you know they're starting a bunch of sophomores we knew it was going to be slow but i thought they'd pick up i thought it'd be a little better than that uh conant is two and three i expected a little bit more out of them early farragut hasn't started as well as i thought you know i had them in the preseason ranking sounds like they're kind of thin and st charles east they're four and two but they've lost to the two good teams they've played so that's a little concern joe and i were both pretty high on them so those are kind of the ones that I'm a little worried about right now. Yeah, the Conant one, I'm not as worried because, yeah, I agree, two and three. They played a very good schedule, but they, they did beat Evanston, I, I think. I think that's their one, one of their two wins. And I know they beat Highland Park, and their losses are, you know, to respectable, solid teams. So It's the Libertyville loss. Yeah, uh, overtime loss to yeah. Libertyville. Uh, but, again, I mean, I, I think when you have a big man – a veteran, uh, you know, a productive guy like Ryan Davis, who's putting up numbers, uh, they'll be all right as long as they can get that that guard play. Obviously, losing Sotos last year was just a, a massive loss for for Conant, and they got the whole new coach, new coach factor. Yeah, so we'll let that play out a little bit. Um, next up, Joe Robinson. Uh, he says, "Hi, Mike and Joe. Two questions." Do you do either of you have any thoughts about the development programs at the middle school level? Most kids interested in playing basketball experience playing for their school, their high school theater team, and an AAU team. Do kids benefit from three different, relatively short experiences during the year, or would you rather see the experiences consolidated somehow? Joe, do you have middle school basketball thoughts? <laughs> well, it, it differs from area to area for sure. I mean, I've seen that just geographical. I mean, what, what you see at that age in the public league, is a lot different than what you see in a lot of the suburban schools. And I, I I think a lot of the high school coaches, if they can get any kind of quality coaching from the middle school level, it's just a, a bonus in there. And they feel fortunate and lucky because that's, it doesn't happen all that often. So, you know, the, the, the more important, part of a high school program at that level and younger are feeder programs and you know the the 
if you go across the suburbs and in the different school districts that have really solid quality feeder programs that are separate from the middle school, uh, I think that's what kind of breeds success and is more of a benefit than a, a really, really good middle school experience. Yeah, we've seen like – and the kids – Sometimes it's rare, but you'll hear kids talking about that and coaches. It's obvious that Palatine and Geneva are both two really strong, you know, communities right now with their youth basketball. Those Palatine kids, the Fremd kids, they came up playing together. You know, I hear a lot of the same stuff about Geneva. That helps. And I know in Joliet, for a while, we didn't have any junior high basketball in the public schools, and that was responsible for kind of that downswing we had. So a lot of times, you know, Joe's asking about what's the best. There are places where there's nothing happening, you know, and that's a real problem. You know, maybe there's some club stuff you can get involved with at the town next door, but first off, anything helps. And secondly, when it's really organized, and I know Luke Yaklich and Joliet did a lot to help get that back started up. Um, and I think that's helped Joliet. But, um, Joe, I have no idea about if kids benefit from three different experiences during the year, whether they should be consolidated. Um, that's a really I, don't think they need to be, I don't think they need to be consolidated. I just – I mean, the more the better to me. I mean, as far as for getting, gaining different experiences, I think it is a benefit. I just I, – I don't know necessarily if the middle school one is – it's probably the lowest on the totem pole. Yeah, and I think it's also quite different where you are. Like in the city, like Ariel and Beasley, there's no rules, I guess, about how many games they play because they're not part of any association. So they play like 60 games. It's crazy. They play like every day. Um, Yeah, and that's kind of what I meant. I mean, it's just a different – as opposed to like going to play a 14-game middle school schedule. Yeah. Um, All right, next question. Would either of you be willing to share the best itinerary for seeing the best of the holiday tournaments? I know not all schedules are finalized, but I'd love to hear what your perfect days would look like. (laughs) <laughs> well, Joe, we will do this when yeah. the pairings are all out. It's kind of something we we naturally talk about anyway. We'll talk about you know the best first rounds to hit, but yeah, we'll get back to this question when all the pairings have been released and kind of hit you know where we'd go, what we'd like to do. So I'll, I'll keep that in mind. But that, it's a good question. Um, next up, Alex Andre. We Alex, long time question asker. Alex, he's got two. First one, Adam Miller looks elite especially since he has a jumper. Is he the next big-time elite recruit out of Chicago? He's talking about the Morgan Park sophomore Pierre Emanuel transfer. I, who, who asked this question? Alex Adam? Andre. A- Alex, Alex. I 100% agree with Alex. I mean, I obviously I get into the prospect thing more than the average person because I have to uh, as a recruiting service guy with college coaches and things like that. But, Yes, I agree. I think he is the next big thing. I think he's the best prospect in Illinois, regardless of class. And part of the reason is because of what he said. He does have he has a silky smooth jumper, but he's also very mature and composed already for his age as a sophomore. He has good size, a good build and body, and he plays very unselfish. I, 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 I love this kid. I think he is a, a dynamic, legit talent. There's been guys in Illinois who are ranked high, even currently in this state, that I don't think are worthy of their national ranking. Adam Miller is a legit top 25 player in the country right now in his class. And I, I, I think also the fact that he's just beginning to kind of settle in and get comfortable. You could see that with Morgan Park in those two games where he is still getting acclimated. He's not forcing the issue. He's kind of letting it come to him. And I, I, I think that is why another reason why he's going to be, because he understands it, he gets it and, and really 
is going to evolve into a star once he gets that more acclimation to the, the, the setting that he's in and the surrounding at Morgan Park. Yeah, that's a good point, Joe, about Simley. Because I've been you know, paying a lot of attention to him those first two games, and he, he definitely hasn't quite asserted himself yet, but he's still a really good player. And, and like Alex says, the jumper. I mean, when you can shoot... A lot of other things, especially when you're a sophomore, come along. Second question, why isn't E.J. Liddell ranked higher nationally? Oh, that's a great question. I, I, I just recently released my 2019 rankings, and I put E.J. Liddell ahead of Francis Okoro. I know I'm the only person that has that, but I, I, I just think, <laughs> I mean, he is a monster and he did it at a high level. You think about what he did last year with the numbers he put up in the second half of the season, particularly in the regional games and sectional games that they played in against Jeremiah Tillman and, you know, 30-plus and 17 points. It was crazy. And his game is growing. He he is right on the bubble. Depending, I mean, there's several national rankings, Mike, that – are out there. Some of them have them just inside the top 100. Some of them have outside the top 100. But I 100% agree. If there are 100 players better than Fran, uh, than EJ Liddell in, in this country, then the class is ridiculously loaded or they're just completely missing the boat on EJ Liddell. I, I just think he is a sure thing. And he's 6'7". His, his face-up game is he's, – he's a four-man. But his face-up game is really be- blossoming – coming together, and that's adding to being a very versatile four-man. And that's a team that I, I think, obviously we don't get to see play over the course of the year, but I believe they are one of the biggest favorites, especially with the realignment of the, you know, without Simeon or whoever going down to ISU Super Sectional, they are one of the, probably the clearest cut favorite to reach Peoria of any team uh, I would say in any class, them and Orr would be the two teams that I would say are, are much of a, I don't want to say guarantee, but uh, the biggest favorites to be playing in Peoria in March. Yeah, and I guess the, my, my plea, not part of the question here, but um, Robert Smith was asking me yesterday how the Chicago League Classic went, and um, you know I was telling him it was a lot better for the media this year. I might have complained on the podcast about it other years. That went really smooth, and the um, crowd was good, especially for the last two games on Saturday night. You know, I just can't get excited about these out-of-state teams, and it would have been so exciting if EJ Liddell was there. I mean, Joe, now I've already spent a good amount of time in the podcast talking about the Champaign Central team, you know, against Morgan Park, because that was fun. It'd be really nice if the Chicago League Classic or another event would bring the teams from, the really great teams from all around the state into the city. I think we'd all like to see them. We know Illinois fans would, the recruiting people. I just think that would be a lot of fun and something that we just don't have right now. I 100% agree. I mean, if you could get a Francis Okoro up here uh, from Normal and EJ Liddell from Belleville West, you know, I don't mind a little bit of seasoning with the out-of-state teams if they are bringing a bona fide attraction. If it's a, a Jason Tatum, uh, that type of, uh, you know, back in the day when John, uh, Jonathan or, uh, uh, Greg Oden uh, came into – Chicago, that was a big deal. But just to have the random out-of-state team that really nobody can connect or relate to, obviously the out-of-state teams aren't bringing fans with them. Uh, you know, as an example, Lone Peak. I loved watching Lone Peak, and they kind of generated a buzz while they were here. But they were ended up being a national champion. They went 30, 
32 and 0 or 33 and 1 or so I mean in the rare instance of the, of that I I kind of like it but you know I just didn't relate to these out of state teams this year I, I, uh, from a personal level uh, nor do I care about them on my own level um, I know there are some basketball fans that may I don't personally know them <laughs> but I, I that's a lot it was a lot of out of state this year yeah. Um, all right, next up, Brady Roberts. Brady says, Mike and Joe, great job on all the coverage so far this season. Big fan, but let's get down to business. What gymnasiums in the state of Illinois are a must-see for high school basketball fans? Other than Joliet Central, Mike, please base your choices on age, uniqueness, atmosphere, food, etc. Um, please elaborate. Brady's from Aurora, so I guess he knows about East Aurora. We can cross that off the list. I feel like we've hit this question a couple times. My answer is yeah, always about the same. Podcast, yeah, I mean... I- yeah, I mean, we talk about Thornton and Waukegan and Proviso East and the old venerable gyms like that. Um, Evanston. Evanston, uh, yeah. I guess I mean, East Aurora is, is a great gym yeah. out there. But, you know, I, the, the experience, we talked about Quincy. Uh, I think we did last podcast. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a, you know, the Morton Fieldhouse and, and the Quad Cities. Rock Island's got a terrific gym. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a bunch of gyms that are way down south that are pretty unique and special that Mike and I probably have never been to, you know, whether it be, yeah, you know. It, a lot of our a, gyms around here are bad now. Well, yeah, I mean, it's there are a lot of stale gyms, very cold. I mean, any, any basically any gym. I, a better question, real quick, would be, not a better one, but a different type of question of all the new gyms, let's say new relatively in the last since 2000, last 20 years or so, which ones have passed the test of being okay, it's not great, but it's a new gym, I can you know. Yeah, that's a tough Ridgewood comes to mind right away. Yeah, Ridgewood. They did a uh, nice job with that, that place. I don't I don't mind the for a new gym, uh where was the sectional? Jeez, uh Bolingbrook Joliet West. Um Lincoln Way East, right? Last year? Yeah. I don't I don't mind that gym. I have horrible memories there. I hate that place. <laughs> so I can't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the Lincoln Way West is the same pretty much. Um I think they might have wood bleachers and I'm not sure if the other one does, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they don't it, they're so big and you are a little closer to the court than like the Bolingbrook Nequa feel, which are right. like the worst of the new bunch. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I get what you're saying there. I, when I think, you're far away from the court, it's yeah, the worst. Yeah, that's a disaster. Um, I think some to mention, you know, besides for the old ones that I always talk about that I like, Crystal Lake Central is really cool. Um, got a yeah. chance to go up there like two years ago, and I had no idea what I was. I was just there to see a game. I think I wanted to see Woodstock North or something, and so I went walk in. And I'm like, wow, it is really awesome. Um, I don't think it's super old. It's old, but that's really neat. I think Lions we don't talk about enough. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a little different type of wood floor, and it's, you know, when it's full, it's really cool. Exactly. A line. I, I, I know you don't like Kinsale Central. I think you don't like it. I yeah. personally do like it. Um, yeah, I don't like that or Proviso East. They're kind of, the, they're, there's too many bad sight lines in the top. Well, Proviso, yeah. The, the, when you got to look through poles, yeah. it's, it, well, I guess Waukegan you do too, some, but um so uh, St. Pat's it, it, and Notre Dame. There's two we don't talk about a lot. I mean, this is probably something we should do a little homework and research yeah. and actually do a our own personal. We we'll put a little more time into it and 
and hit a little bit more in yeah. depth. Um, Marshall, St. Pat's, Notre Dame. I'm just throwing things out, Brady. Those are the um, those are all really cool places. Um, all right, next up, Carter H. What are some underrated teams in Illinois that people don't talk about? For example, Loyola, Lake Forest. I think we can get more oh. underrated than that. Although Lake Forest had a big win this week. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see coming. We're still feel. I mean, some of the I will say some of these. There's a lot of undefeated teams right now, a lot, and a lot of them aren't really that type of team. <laughs> and we're, we'll find a lot about you know from now till January first. A lot of these teams are going to get kind of weeded out. These five and zero teams will be sitting there in January first, seven and five or or ten and six. You know, and you know we we have to weed some of that out, but. You know, one team I'll mention out of the area, and I, I can't. Do you, you ever get mixed up, Mike, with what we talk, what you talk about in the podcast, with what you write? Yes, I kind of forget the <laughs> podcast as soon as it we're done. No, <laughs> so, but like, yeah. no. Sometimes I I will bring up something now, and I can't remember if I wrote about it or I oh. spoke about it. But Rockford Jefferson is one to watch. You 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 saw them play, didn't you? Or no? Yeah. Wait, no, 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 no. I didn't. Um. No, I didn't see them. I was out in Rockford, but I saw Young and Larkin. No, Rockford, Jefferson, they are a legit team to keep an eye on. And the road they have to Peoria, you know, I, you know, we've over the years, Rockford, Boylan, and then recently it's been more Rockford, Auburn. But it's clearly Rockford, Jefferson. Uh, they've got a lot of talent back. They had returning players as well as some influx of transfers. So that's one team outside the Chicago area that, that I could see you know, kind of playing in Peoria, sneaking up on some people that aren't paying attention. Yeah, I saw I saw Rockford Boylan. Maybe what you're thinking of. Um, I, I will mention two teams in the city to talk about. I went and saw Schurz last week, and uh, they're off to a four and zero start. Um, beat you know Elgin, West Chicago, not great teams or anything, but they can play with suburban teams and beat them. There's some upside there. They can come together. They've got some good athletes. Um, Jalon Mitchell does an awful lot, and I really liked their role players. Um, I'm interested to see what they do with a step up in competition, um, see how Shurs can do. But Collins is a good team. They're, they're always solid, um, and they were able to pull that off in overtime, but that was a fun one. Also, I want to talk about my neighborhood school, Clemente. They're off to a big-time start. They are 6-0, and I think, 5-0, and 6-0. And, and um, Tashawn Stokes, who I talked about when I saw him last year, he was a really kind of a strong 6'4", 6'5", type, you know, high school power forward type. And he was scoring 20 a game last year. He's, I think he's close to or over 30 a game this year. I'm going to go see them play Wells and my guy Antoine Lampkin on Wednesday. Um, really looking forward to it. That was a fun game last year. Not sure how far Clemente can go, but they're going to be a, a definite factor in the white. And I'm just excited to see how those two programs have evolved since last year. Um, and they're, they're not flying completely under the radar because they had such a good season last year. But, you know, Brother Rice lost uh, kind of a – two-headed monster last year with with Nigo and um, Mike Shepsky. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people expected a lot out of Bobby Frazier's team. I got a chance to see them, and I was impressed, And particularly because Marquise Kennedy, the transfer from Crete Monee, was pretty special the day I saw him. But I think they're going to cause some problems for people in the Chicago Catholic. Everybody's talking about DePaul Prep, uh, St. Rita, Fenwick. But Brother Rice is, is one, you know, right there with Loyola as as two teams that, you know, he mentioned Loyola, I'll mention that. Another one, Naperville Central, uh, I think is going to be a little bit better than people thought, too. Uh, they're, 
they got three so- very young group to go with a couple of uh, veteran seniors, and they got some tremendous size and length. They, they, you know, they're they're four. I think they're four and one or five and one. They beat a, a good Buffalo Grove team. I mean, they pounded Buffalo Grove by twenty. They beat up Zion Benton. Uh, I think Naperville Central, even though Wheaton South and Naperville North are still the two favorites in the DVC, DuPage Valley Conference, Naperville Central is one to watch. Indeed. Um, all right, let's uh, get to the next one. Anthony Agner, I believe you pronounce it. With the departure of most of the seniors from last year's incredible Fremd Vikings team, do you think Ryan Martin and Bryce Hopkins can ultimately lead this team and be a state contender like last year's was? State contender, no. Uh, I, I ranked them pretty high in my top 80, I mean, in the preseason, simply because Ryan Martin's good. He, he's he got a little game to him. Uh, he's come a long way. You know, Frem's style is one where, you know, they don't score a lot of points. They're, they're, they're very disciplined. We saw that last year, low-scoring game, uh, very efficient offensively, but – Martin's got a little shake and bake to him. He, he can score a little bit. I like him. And the Hopkins kid is a high ceiling, still trying to reach it. So, yeah, those are two kids that can, you know, definitely make a run in the mid-suburban league west. Uh, I know they're 5-1 and one this year, I think, to start out the season. But to be a state contender, I think right now that's a, it's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, yeah. The losses to uh, Lake Forest Academy um... – but I think their friend is also responsible for the weirdest score of the year. I didn't actually double check it, but it just struck me as strange when I was writing it down. Um, they allegedly beat Elk Grove eighty to twenty, which doesn't seem very friendly <laughs> to me. Um, eighty to twenty, yeah. yeah I um... that's a little strange. Uh, but yeah, I think you know, Wheaton Warrenville South. Look at their. Back in the rankings this week, these teams, especially in years like this, when, when there aren't elite-loaded teams and when there aren't a lot of high-major seniors, you get your Wheaton Souths and your Frems, and on the other kind of side of the spectrum, Joliet Central, look out. You know, their only loss is a four-pointer to Romeoville, and they've killed everybody else by, like, 30. Um, they're going to be making some noise as well. But, yeah, I think we're going to have – we'll see who it, they crop up over the next month or two, the teams like that. But we have to keep our eyes open because it's going to be another year, I think, where that's really possible. Yeah, I, I don't think we're gonna have the Frem thirty and zero, the Wheaton South net twenty nine and one. I don't. We're not gonna have that type of, of a team. I, I really don't think so. But I think we're just gonna have a just a whole bunch of, you know, at the end of the day, bunch of teams sitting there that seventeen to twenty twenty two wins, and just not the and, and a plethora of them, but not. I just don't – I mean, I could be wrong. We could be sitting here in February saying, Joe, remember when you said there wasn't going to be a team that matched yeah. <laughs> Fremd Wheaton South of last year? I just – I mean, I, I guess we weren't talking about Fremd and Wheaton South in that capacity at this point last year either, you yeah. know? Um, so it could have materialized. But I, I – that doesn't happen all the time. I mean, the, the amount of undefeated and 29-1 teams over the years is, is not that many. Last year was a unique situation. We had we had you know Bolingbroke was undefeated forever, and Geneva I think was undefeated forever. Uh, it was that was a unique thing last year. All right, let's take a look at the week ahead. All kinds of stuff this week. Starting it up with Morgan Park at Bogan, which is Tuesday night. So later today, when you're reading this, 
Bogan is really angry with me over the rankings. They're going <laughs> to, if they let me into the gym, <laughs> I'm going to watch this one. Uh, should be a, just a barn burner. Bogan is all jacked up now. Morgan Park's a little hobbled without Tamel Pearson for a while. So Did, did Bogan out. play? They haven't played since the Thanksgiving tournament, have they? They have not, no. All right. so, so that's going to be fun. Wednesday, we've got Farragut at Orr, which I've not heard great reports about Farragut to start the season, so that might be kind of a game for Orr to get back on track. Just a couple other interesting games. Uplift, kind of making their local debut. They're at Lincoln Park. Uh, Grays Lake North is at North Chicago. That should be an interesting game. Wells and Clemente, that I'll probably be going to. Thursday, we've got Young at Farragut, which... Again, we don't know what we're going to see from Farragut. Tough week from tough week for Farragut. Yeah, but that'll be that could be closer than people expect because at Farragut is a whole different ball of wax um, than yeah. Farragut on the road. Young took care of him last year, which I think was a better Farragut team. Yeah. I, I just I don't want to diss on Farragut. I just was surprised at what I saw over at Kenwood. When Kenwood just torched him, and uh, now Reggie Strong and Aaron Strong did not have the best games, but they're going to have to carry a huge load for that team. Uh, Friday, we've got uh, St. Viator at Marion Catholic. Good one. Bloom at Rich East. Uh, St. Viator at Marion Catholic. I'm like, that's big. That, that's, that can go a long way in deciding that East Suburban Catholic Conference. Indeed. Bloom and Rich East. See if Bloom can get back on track. Uh, Juliet Central. My Rockets. Yes. Ooh. I thought about going to that one. Juliet Central at Manuka, which will be a good one. I think I'm going to go to this one, though. HF at Lincoln Way East. Um, kind of the... Yeah. Proving ground for Sam Schaefer. I I threw a shot at them in the paper today that no one believes in them. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, Geneva at Larkin. That's going to be Joe a fun Joe believes one. in them. Yeah, and uh, Leo at St. Joe's. We haven't talked much about Leo. Um, they got off to a nice start. They're an interesting team. And then Saturday, loaded. Just a loaded day. Um, Joe, is, Joe has interested in me in York, and they're playing at West Aurora. <clears throat> and then Mount Carmel, we've got the Team Rose stuff. Mount Carmel... Uh, it starts out at 11 a.m. with Von Steuben versus Mount Carmel. Then we've got Farragut and Joliet West. Then Uplift against Evanston, which sounds really nice, at 1.30. Kenwood Brother Rice at 3. And Hillcrest Romeoville at 4.30, which is way better than we thought it was. Those are really four fun games uh, to wrap that thing up. Or, sorry, not to wrap that day up. And then Sunday, back at Mount Carmel, we've got Peyton against Crete Moni. Hope Academy versus Providence St. Mel, which... Talk about a small school west side of Chicago throwdown. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, Longwood against Westinghouse, and then two really good ones. Orr versus Danville, and Curie best versus St. Rita. Best game, best game of the week right there, Orr, Danville. And uh, Curie St. Rita. So, yeah, that, that is two fun days at Mount Carmel. Now, there is kind of a wrench being thrown into this Saturday Mount Carmel schedule. The last I've heard, the Battle of Vincennes is, it might be Saturday. Um, having trouble really getting any information on it. It's scheduled for Thursday, um, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. Basically, I don't know when it is. I don't know where it is. But it's allegedly sometime this week. <laughs> that's a mystery. And, and you know, I'm getting kind of sick of dealing with it, to be honest. If anybody wants to hear, hear me whine. And there's so many good games every day that I'm live. I kind of feel like I'm, I'll just go to where I'm scheduled and... I'm not going to spend the rest of my life trying to figure out where Morgan Park and Simeon play because <laughs> it's getting tedious. But anyway, yeah, really good Team Rose showdown stuff um, at Mount Carmel on Saturday and Sunday. So that should be fun. Um, oh, I, you know, let's mention it. Uh, Sunday there's also the Collins shootout. Prosser and Raby, 
uh, Perspectives MSA and Vaughn, Brooks versus Uplift, Collins versus Farragut, and Clark versus North Lawndale. <laughs> Farragut was a busy week. <laughs> Farragut's playing a lot of games. Yes, <laughs> against a lot of almost every day this week. <laughs> Farragut is playing. You go to a shootout, they'll be. <laughs> So, hey, and you can see a lot of Reggie Strong. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, But anyway, that's kind of a quick rundown of the week. Um, Thanks for listening. Where's where's Round Lake? At Gray's Lake North, Round Lake. I I want to see those Connolly brothers. Yeah? Yeah, I'm interested in Gray's Lake North a little bit. I think they lost a couple games been You've been heading to the far north already, so... Yeah. Well, the weather's good. It's the time to travel far is before the weather hits. I've learned that over the years. And I've been threatening to go to Gray's Lake North for three years now. Remember they had the Jamal Thomas kid? I kept threatening to go see and never did. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of empty promises uh, for me in Gray's Lake North, but someday. Um, But I think that should wrap it. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week.